Well, today I want to teach a, a non-traditional um, Mother's Day message. I, I, was t I was politely told at the end of the last sermon that, you know, well, it's not as much mother in there as we thought. And I thought, but it's a good message. And it's a message that on holidays like this, whenever we have, I, I try to, you know, I try to think, but my staff even asked me, they said, you know, it's Mother's Day. I said, yeah, I know it is. But mothers need to hear this too. How about an amen? Because every now and then in your life, you have to rethink things. Moms know a lot about that. And so this, this, this particular um, sermon today centers around a big question. Your view and your approach. Say that with him, please. Say, my view, my view. and my approach. my approach. The question is going to be is how has your view and how has your approach affected you? How, has, how have you had to change your view. One of the things I will say moms do all the time is they, they're trying to, in their wifing, parenting, all the things that they do, mothering, they're trying to get their kids to see things a certain way. You're trying to get them to approach marriage, life, money, finances a certain way. And you start when they're young, right? This is not yours. You can't take it. It's his. It's hers. It's a challenge that we all understand. In Matthew chapter 5, which is where we're going to start today, Jesus takes 12 guys up on a mountain, on a hill, and he starts talking to them about their, their approach and their view. And he wants them to rethink the way they view life, rethink the way they approach people. Because in order for them to go to the next place he wants to take them, they have to change their view. If you don't change their view, you can't get there. He can't get them there. So it starts this is the first message, the first full sermon the first big conversation they have recorded in the Bible. And so because Matthew 5 is the first place you have this great conversation, what's profound is the conversation is about view and approach. And so I want to change, the title of the sermon in your notes says five things to rethink in your life, but I want to, you know, because I have the privilege of doing this, I want to change it. So you can write on the side, say rethink, rethink. your view your and your approach. This is about rethinking your view and approach, how you view life and how you approach it. Jesus is committed to helping these 12 guys get to a place. But the problem is the way they've been nurtured and raised, it's, it's not going to work. And that's true for a lot of us. You may have great desires. You can go get a great education. But if your view towards work does not change, if your work ethic, if your attitude towards authority doesn't change, then you'll have a tremendous challenge. Let me just sidestep here for a minute and say something that I don't want to miss the chance of saying. There's been a lot of talk lately you know, about police brutality and police been being fired even locally, you know, some challenges. And I pray for our sheriff's department. I pray for police department. I pray for there's a whole lot of stuff going on, not only in our, in our country, but in our city, in our area. And we have a lot of wonderful officers who work for us, who do a good job. Can we give our police officers who protect us a big hand? Can we do that? Can you say, no, come on, give them a big hand for what they do. We appreciate their service. Not only do they protect us here at the church, and we have a very, a very um, strong and, and effective uh, law enforcement team here that, that makes sure that when you come, it's all good. They're not here for the bad moments. They're here for the moments that, well, they are here for the bad moments. They're here to make sure they stay good. But one of the things that um, you find is every now and then 
you have to rethink. You have to rethink the way power is managed. You have to rethink the way um, you view power. If our culture develops an attitude that says we don't respect authority, we're in trouble. And if authority doesn't respect the rights of people to have rights, we're in trouble. So authority shouldn't be abused, but authority is necessary. And so finding a balance to that is important. So pray for peace in our country and pray for a respect for authority. Uh, not only is that important, but you see it in this new breakout, and I'm really going to get off the trek here, trap here, trap the, the road here for a minute, with this whole thing with ISIS and this whole thing with Al-Qaeda. I don't, I don't mind you having a religious view. I just don't think you should kill me because I don't agree with you. <laughs> I, think, I think that's the problem. I don't think you have the right to come and bomb my church or bomb me or kill me because I'm a Christian and you, you want to be a Muslim. Fine. I mean, I support your right to be. And I, I, shouldn't, I should not be um, against you having that right, but I don't think that you should force that right upon people or anybody else. Can, can we say amen to that? Amen. And see, this, this just strikes at a very interesting balance that we face in life. When people have a view, back to view here, their view affects their actions. If you think you have the right, if you have the view that women are, are for your pleasure, so rape is fine. Now, no one should rape you, but your, your, your right to do that is based on a view. The view is the problem. Change the view, we change the behavior. The reason you don't go out into the middle of the water where there are alligators is because you have a view. <laughs> this is not good for you. And so it affects your actions. You adjust yourself because of your view. And so back to our sermon here, understand Jesus now in Matthew chapter 5 is talking to 12 guys on a mountain, and he says, I want to change your view. I want to challenge the way you think, because if I change your view, we can go forward. If I can't change your view, we're not going to get there. And here's what's hard about this conversation. He's, he's talking about the way they were raised. They were raised by religious leaders who had convinced them of certain things, and they had certain convictions. So in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which we're going to deal with over the next three weeks, he, you're going to hear him, Jesus say, now you've heard it said, but I say. You were told this, but now I tell you this. That, you know, I want you to understand that that's not, that's not an easy thing to hear. That my mama didn't tell me it right. My daddy didn't tell me right. My family culture is not really the culture I like. That's why marriage is so difficult for people, because... You run into family differences. Your, your family is kind of, you know, they're not neat. They're just kind of stuffs everywhere. And that's normal. Not saying it's evil or bad. It's just, but some people just really neat. I mean, they just, they're, they're, they, they're very organized. They take their shoes off. They put their socks in the shoes or they fold them up. Or they're just, and the shoes are always like side by side. You, there you go, baby. Let it fly. <laughs> now, that's, that's, that's not evil. That's just you. And when you, when you get married and you get into a relationship, you run into that. And so all of your life, you are trying to help people adjust their view. And you see this when you expand, when you travel the world, when you interact with other cultures, when you, when you have a tremendous shift in exposure to different age levels. That's what's happening in our, in our world. The older people aren't dying, they're living longer. So younger workers are having to work with older workers. And you're having a generation clash in some ways because people have a different view. And if you think your view is the only view, 
You're going to be in a lot of conflict. And so Jesus knows that. And so in, in, East, in, in Matthew 5, he says, guys, let's talk. And, and I want you to first notice something that's really simple but very profound. And I listed it in what I call five things I want you to rethink. The first thing I want you to rethink is rethink the way you train. Training is an important part of life. And I want you to look at chapter 5, verse 1. It says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Now, chapter 5, verse 1 really picks up from chapter 4, where it describes all the healings Jesus did to the multitudes. And multitudes doesn't mean a certain number. It just means a lot of people. It, it, it could be 50 people, it could be 100 people, but it was a crowd. It could be 200 people, it could be 1,000 people. But he says there's a lot of people, a lot of people. And then after Jesus talked to a lot of people, then he went and talked to his 12 disciples on the mountain, and they were just talking. And he opened his mouth, verse 2, and he taught them, saying. Now, all this is from the Message Bible, so I'm going to compare the two because I want you to notice this is where Jesus by himself sits down with these guys, and he says, let me tell you how you need to view life going forward. You need to rethink the way you, you've been living. And he starts with these statements you're familiar with, but you're only familiar with them in the King James. So let me read it for you in the King James and notice what he says to them. Catch this now. In a small setting, small guys, small group, most of your great training happens with one or two people. The Bible is not full of a lot of mega experiences. Very few. Every now and then Jesus spoke to 5,000 or 4,000, but generally it was to 12 guys, two guys, three guys, you know, it was Adam and Eve, right? Then Moses and his uh, family, small groups. It was Jonah uh, and a few people on the boat. Most of what you read in the Bible is about small interactions. Well, listen to what Jesus tells these 12 guys on the mountain. Here's what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You heard that before? Right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are uh, those who mourn. Now, this is not in your notes, okay? Your, your notes have the message Bible. I'm reading to you the King James the reason I'm doing this is because I want you to understand you know this part of the Bible. You've heard it before, but you've probably never heard it explained from this angle. So here's what it says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, verse, verse 3, uh, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the what? Sons of God. Those, that's the way you've heard that all of your life. Those are, those are simple ways of describing what people call the Beatitudes. But people don't really understand what it means a lot of times. It sounds good, but what does it mean? Well, the word blessed is a simple word. It means happy. So here's what he's trying to say. Here's what happiness looks like. Twelve guys sitting on the mountain. You want to be happy? You want to follow me? Here's what you need to think like. Here's, here's some thoughts you need to rethink because what you've been taught about these thoughts doesn't really work where you're going. It might have worked here, but it's not going to work where you're going. Please catch that. The way you think now will not work where you're going. It may work now. When you're in college, you know, you know, high school, right? High school thinking about studying is one thinking. College is another. So where you're going to a, to a job who's not going to tolerate you being late three times and you're out of a job, you know, that's a different way of thinking. And so he's trying to get them ready for the future, and their view and their approach has to be changed or it won't work. So here's what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, in the Message Bible, notice how he summarizes all of these verses I've just read for you, the first six verses, and he puts them in what I call a category called tough and hungry seasons. 
So he wants them to rethink how they view tough and what seasons? Hungry seasons. And the first thing he says to them is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of God. But in the message Bible, it says, when you are at the end of your rope, you're blessed. When you feel poor in spirit or you feel like I'm at the end of my rope, at the end of the road, when you're at the end of your rope, with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. He's ruling. He's there when you feel poor. His kingdom is present when you feel empty. When you're at the end of your rope, he still is in charge. Now, that, that, that's a powerful moment to step back and say, when I come to a moment when I feel it's tough and I'm at the end of my rope, it's okay. Now, that's a change of thought for them. Hey, guys, I know you want to feel sorry for yourself. I know you want to say, that, oh, God, help me. But he says, no, no, no. Where you're going, it's like this a lot. And where you're going, you have to learn how to view this as a blessed moment, as a happy moment. Secondly, he says, when you come to these moments, when you feel lost, not only at the end of your when you feel lost, when you're mourning, blessed are those who mourn, you feel lost. That's a moment in your life that you can know that you're embraced by the one most dear to you. So change your view, guys, 12 guys on a mountain. You're, you're going to come to moments when you feel lost, completely lost. And you can also have thirdly moments when you feel as if, I love this, when all you have is what you have. Say that with me, please. Come on. When all you have is what you have. You know, blessed are the meek. Those people who don't have much, but they will have more along in, down the road. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's a good place to be. Imagine getting up in the morning. It's a wonderful book I read. It, it, it's called, well, in the book it talked about this um, concept of being happy. Just, I'm, it, it, I think it's called content. I'm just, just imagine for a moment, I look good enough, I smile good enough, I have enough money, um, I don't need anything else. Imagine just being in a state where you feel really good about you. He describes the meek attitude here. Those people who approach life that way, disciples sitting on a mountain, guys, you, if you can get to a place of meekness and contentment with where you are and what you have, and if you could just say, what I have is what I have, and that's okay. I don't need another car. I don't need another pair of shoes. I'm okay. That is the way these guys on the mountain had to think, and that's not how they were taught to think. They were taught to think you had to have more, and they were taught to think you have to be, you can't ever feel lost, and you can't be at the end of your rope. You've got to always be together and strong. And he says, no, 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 where you're going, that's not going to always be true. And you have to know that God's kingdom, God's rulership is present when you don't feel that way. That's what confuses a lot of people. You think you're supposed to be awesome. But Jesus starts this conversation out, blessed are the poor when you feel awful. Blessed are those who mourn and blessed are those who are meek. Don't have much. They're just kind of hanging on to what they've got, but they found a way when they're in those places to be happy. And when they're hungry and they're longing for God's best, but they're not quite there yet. They're blessed. That's a blessed place. So you're blessed when you're, you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best uh, meal you'll ever have. So think about that. Think about it that way. 12 guys sitting on the mountain. I want you guys to rethink how you view tough times and, and review how you think hungry. 
moments. Don't cry, don't moan, expect those seasons of your life. Rethink those moments. And then he closes out in the Beatitudes with these final thoughts. He says, rethink how you view what causes long-term blessings. And he says, if you guys really want to be blessed, you've got to not be so tough, you've got to be caring. It's when you care, number one, that good things happen for you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, it says in the King James. Here it says, you're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you'll find yourself cared for. You are a person who has the power, he says, if you care, to change everything in your future. Twelve guys on a mountain about to go change the world. I want you guys to understand blessings will come to you. Long-term blessings will come when you sow a spirit of caring. Now, in their culture, it wasn't quite like that. Religious leaders were kind of aloof, and they were up here someplace, and the people were down there. Blessings come when your heart is right. Blessed are the pure in heart. You've heard that, right, all your life, verse 8? says you're blessed when you get your, your inside world, that's the pure and hard part, your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Twelve guys on a mountain, if you really want to change the world, here's what you got to be, pure in heart. You got to care and you got to have a genuine heart. You can't be a hypocrite. You can't be faking it. You guys can't take faking forward. It's not going to work. If your heart's not pure, it's not going to work. Nothing's going to change in your life. Are you good at pretending? Are you good at faking it? Looking like you're okay, but you're really not? Then the last thing he says about long-term blessings is not only must you care, not only must you have a pure heart, but you must be a person who's a peacemaker and you avoid unnecessary fights. Now, you've heard this verse for years, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. Question is, are you one of those people? He says, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are. Now, before you turn the page, stay with me. Here's a question. Why do you have strife on every job? You've been in how many marriages or relationships and you've had strife in how many? You've been mad with everybody you've dated and loved. It's like, okay, pause for a minute and let me ask you a simple question. Could it possibly be that you're not really good at peacemaking? You're mad with somebody right now, but okay, so how long do you plan to be this way? Do you know anything about how to make peace? Do you know anything about how to resolve issues? Or do you just kind of say, I'm mad and so until they just kind of fall down and die or something? I don't know what your thought is. But now turn the page, let me show you what you should do. The fourth thing he wants you to rethink. Rethink your view of training. It's generally in small groups. Rethink how you view tough and hungry seasons. That's part of the journey. View it as something that is not as bad as it looks, even if you feel like you're at the end of the rope, if you feel like you're lost, if you feel like, man, what I have is not enough, if you feel like I'm hungry for God, but I can't quite get there. Rethink how you view your life. Review conflict. Re sit down on the side of the road and rethink all this. And then he says this. Rethink how you manage your anger. I believe that anger is a part of life you can't avoid. You are going to be angry, and being a peacemaker is going to be a tough call for you, like it is for all of us. And I, I really believe that Jesus nails down something here that's really simple. He says, you guys have one view of Anger, 
and I have another. Twelve guys on the mountain, I want you to hear me. You define anger as killing people. As long as I don't murder anybody, I've not done anything wrong. I can be angry and upset, but it's, you know, as long as I didn't murder you. You may think it doesn't matter what I say. And Jesus says, no, you're wrong. And here's what he says, and this is stunning for them. You're familiar with the counsel to the ancients. This is in verse 21 of Matthew 5, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so, is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Now that rocked them. Wait a minute. Oh, you're trying to say I murder people because I'm angry? And some of, some of us have an angry list. You know, and certain people come around, we can uh, straighten up a little bit. And Jesus says, I want you to be clear. When you function in that kind of anger, you kill people. Careless words that you say, what you emit, what people feel from you, you can absolutely suck the life out of somebody. It's amazing. Here's what he says. Carelessly call a brother an idiot. And you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you are on the brink of, of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. Here's all Christ is doing is painting a picture. He says, you want to really, really see what kills people? It's not physical death, it's your words. You've killed way more people with your words. Just saying you're an idiot, stupid, fool, dumb. It's amazing how in one moment you can almost sabotage a person's view. Do you, do you mark people? Because you, you, you let people know how you feel. So you, you got a little brand and iron, you kind of just... Anybody who kind of gets in your way, you, you let them know. I don't play. There are a lot of people with your tattoo. There are a lot of moments when you justifiably let everybody know who you are. And you're not taking it. You're tough. Jesus says, 12 guys on a mountain, you're murderers. Now that made them step back. Because here's what he's doing. Rethink your view and your approach to anger. Stop thinking it's a casual right you have to be extremely harsh. I see this so much in the rearing of children. I see it in supervisors. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. And so you carry a spirit that's angry all the time. And Jesus just really says, that's not the way I want you to think. And as long as that's your view, that'll be your approach. Here's what he says, and he gives an example, verse 23 of Matthew 5. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If, if you enter your place of worship, and you're about to make an offering, and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. If you go to church and you get the hymnal in your hand, you're about to sing a gospel song, right? A hymn. Abandon, verse 24, your offering. Put the hymnal down. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then, and only then, come back and work things out with God. That's stunning. 
Put your hands down, stop singing, go to the person, get right with people. It starts with relationship. I don't want you to get confused, 12 guys on a mountain, and think that I want you now to go out and meet some great preachers and, and have all these issues with people. Then he goes on and says this, verse 25, or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but you can't avoid having enemies. I have a few, and I'm a nice guy. But there's some people that don't like me. Now, I just, I've learned to accept that. You know, it's, it's so funny with me sometimes, and I don't know, with me, I don't know people. I don't know them, and they don't like me. And I'm going, well, why don't you like me? I don't know you. I mean, I don't even know your name. I mean, one, one lady, she stopped me. She says, and this is her first words, I forgive you. <laughs> so, okay. I said, what's your name? <laughs> I don't know your name. I would, I would, if I were her, I would note that. He doesn't know me. I can't believe you named the church after yourself, Ricky's Temple. My name is Ricky Temple. That's just my name. I didn't name the church after me. The name, it was amazing. And, and, but she was mad. I've had people, I've had people, um, <laughs> I've had so many little encounters, you know, like that with people. And, you know, you just kind of, you just want to, one, 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 one lady, one lady, um, I, I made a phone call to a family member. And I made his family member, I met, I, I, and, um, and uh, my, my grandmother was sick, and so I called this family member to check on my grandmother, who happened to work at a, a place in town. I called, and the person, uh, I, I said my name. And so, fast forward, I'm in a pet shop. Where was I at? One more time. Where was I at? Pet shop. I was in a pet shop looking at fish, okay? Because I used to have an aquarium in my office. And I was in there looking at fish, and so this person, this person, um, was it me? Hold it, the story's getting messed up here for a second. No, no, I got stopped in the mall. They stopped this other person in the pet shop and said, they got talking about churches, and they said what church they went to, and they said, overcome by faith, Pastor Rick, and they said, oh, I feel so sorry for his wife. And, and, and the person said, well, the member said, well, what, what for? She said, well, uh, I know who he, uh, who he's seeing. I was seeing the family member that I called to check on my grandmother. Are you with me? And then somehow drugs got in there too. I don't know. Um, I said something in church. Uh, they had some other story about me saying something about confessing drugs in church that I confessed something. I ain't. Let me tell. You, I'm gonna tell y'all one. This is my experience with drugs. You ready? I smoked one time. Some weed and I didn't inhale. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> true. Once. <laughs> I said, what's it, girl? That's right. Don't even do that. Don't even do that. I did it one time. Let me tell you, I was walking down. I remember where I was. I was on 47. I was on 47 near Vermont coming down, and my friends, they had, no, well, I shouldn't have been, but they had some weed in their hands. They was walking around. And there's a temple, if you ever smoked, Weed, I said, oh, yes, I lied. I said, never, ever, you know, you, I, but I lied, and I said, yes, and they gave me the, the weed, and they gave it, and I took it, and I said, oh, you know, that's, that's it. That's it. That was the end of my drug life. 
So somebody, now fast forward to me, somebody stops me in the mall crying and saying, I heard that you confess drugs. I said, I ain't never confessed no drugs. <laughs> so you know, people say things, people say things and then people see it, mm -hmm, there you go, drug addict, look at him. <laughs> see, when this story gets told, please tell it right, don't tell it wrong. But you know, you get enemies for reasons that aren't tied to anything sometimes and you can't manage it. But what I love the fact is, notice, notice how Jesus says, you know, when, when, you, when, you're, when you're constant in the street and you're constant by somebody that is an enemy for whatever reason, maybe you did do something. Some of you say, no, Pastor, I didn't just, I inhaled it. I sold it. I did all kinds of stuff. Well, if you did do all that, but you changed now and people accost you in the street and they try to hold that over your head, Watch Jesus' response to this. Here's what he says. He says, make the first move. He said, don't lose a moment. I'm in verse 25 now in your notes. Don't, don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. Take the, take the front seat. After all, if you, leave the if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. In other words, make the first move. So when someone's mad with me or an enemy, I say, hey, how are you? So what would you hear? Oh, no. Absolutely not. I make the first move. Make, make the first move. Be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. There's something about taking the high ground and not getting caught up in what people misunderstand. And I want to tell you, some of you are praying to be blessed. You're the 12 guys on the mountain, right? And Jesus is saying to them, hey, guys, if you really want to be awesome, if you really want to go with me, this is the way, the way you have to see things. You have to view it this way. Your approach cannot be eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You guys, later on in, in our study, you hear me talk about that. That's not some call to be wimpy and beat down. It's the call to say, don't let that be your first response. Don't be so antagonistic, so get your back, in your face. If you're going to go with me, your view and your approach have to be different. Twelve guys on a mountain, on the hillside, talking to me. This is how you have to think. And then he jumps into this incredible closing, which I'm going to end today with, and it's just amazing. And he kind of says, oh, and by the way, please don't commit adultery. Uh, and if, if, if that doesn't, like, rock your head back, you go, okay, so I'm, I'm rethinking how I view training. I see we're talking to a small group here. Re reviewing how, I, how, tough, how to view tough and, and hungry seasons. And I'm also to rethink how I view um, what, what brings long-term blessing. But now, all of a sudden, you jump into this whole thing about lust and temptation. The King James is pretty profound. It says, you know, don't commit adultery. And if you look upon a woman with lust, You've already committed adultery. That's how the King James says it, right? Here, he just kind of says it in a plain way, verse 27. He says, you know that the next commandment pretty well told, well too, don't go to bed with another spouse, another person's spouse. Well, Pastor Rick, okay, now, the sermon was okay until here. I'm just, don't know what to do with that part. Me either. I wish it, you know what I mean? But it's here, so you got to deal with it, right? 
and, and I, I, I put it in, under this caption, you know, rethink how you manage your strong cravings. He calls it lust. You want to go with me, 12 guys on the hill? You want to go with me? Here's what we got to do. We got to change how you view and approach your sexual lives. Or you can't go with me. First sermon, first message, first conversation, he jumps into this topic early. Why? Because it's a common problem. Hopping around, not being faithful. And he says, if you want to go with me, 12 disciples, let me talk to you about this. Now, and then he, he says something that's, again, strange because, okay, I can understand you saying don't commit adultery. That I get, but you said that if I look in the King James upon a woman to lust after her, or you ladies can join the club, or if you look at a guy to lust after him. Ladies looked at him, I don't have that problem. You're right, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, he says, you know, you've already crossed the line. And here's how he says it in, in this version, which I love. He said, um, verse 28, don't you think, don't you think you've pre preserved your virtue simply? Don't, think you don't you think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of a bed? Even if you haven't literally done anything, here's what he says. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also can corrupt you. And so you would think, okay, here's what you want me to do, right? Tempo, man of God, you want me to just do this when I go to the mall? I see somebody pretty, go that devil, 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 <laughs> demon, demon. <laughs> no. You don't need to go bow your head and hide your eyes when you see somebody pretty. Hey, listen, if somebody is gorgeous, they're just gorgeous. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's just the truth. You can, just, you can lie if you want to, you know, and then if you, and you guys, you married guys, here's your wife, ask you a question. She says, how does she look to you? Who? <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, I didn't see that woman. What? You didn't see that pretty girl. You didn't see that pretty girl. You didn't see her. You did not see her, did you? Can I tell you what Diane used to do to me? Check out Stan, right? Down when we down would look to see which which teller I was gonna go to. She wanted me to go to the ugliest one. I said, oh yeah, you don't shake your head back there. Now I'm preaching, I'm under anointing right now. She would she would she would harass me and she would say, Watch him go to that one. That's his kind right there. That's the kind he's gonna and then watch him say something nice. He can't just go through the line and just check out. He gotta say, How are you? <laughs> would you stop shaking your head back there? I'm trying to preach. She said, that's right. That's exactly what she would do. But if you're pretty, you're pretty. You, you, want, you, want, to know, you, you want to know my formula for dealing with lust? Tell you. Tell, you. <laughs> tell me, he said. I'm going to tell you. That's right. Here, no, this is good. Here's what I do. I have a little saying. You ready? All the men only. No, no women say this, okay? Say, all grass. Must be, cut. must be cut. That helps me. I don't care how good she look. All lawns have to be mowed. I don't care. It's what's between this, these heads, these ears. Don't let the looks fool you. Don't let the looks fool you. And so I talked to myself. I said, well, you have to talk to yourself. Listen. <laughs> Ask your neighbor. Say, do you have to talk to yourself? Ask them. Say, do you have to talk to yourself? 
Okay, see, some of y'all scared you ain't going to say it, uh-huh. But I want to be real. Let, you know, lust just means you have a craving, a desire, you're impressed with something, something you like. You know what I'm saying? And, but the problem is, if you don't learn how to manage that craving, that's what this is about. Jesus is telling these 12 guys, you got to learn how to manage this. I don't think it's, I, don't, I mean, Diane was on a plane, right, with some guy, right? And I'm waiting for her in Texas, I think it was some city we're meeting up in. And she gets off the plane, and this dude is, this dude is good looking. Now, I don't mind sitting next to ugly people, but she gets off the plane with this good looking dude, right? And they're talking. <laughs> Swapping cards and. But you swap in his business. Give me that card. I don't need his card. What you need this card for? You got my card. My card is the only card you need in your wallet. No. <laughs> no, no. Stop, stop, no. <laughs> It was hilarious. I was good. I was good. I was good. I was good. And, you know, I, but I, I, think, I think it's unfair to expect somebody not to notice good looks. It's unfair to think you, you have to be the prettiest person. You have to be the only person. You have to, look, listen, that's not realistic. Managing it is realistic. Putting it in place. There are people that have great voices, great manner. They're, they have great personalities. They make you smile. They're, they're engaging. They, they make you feel good about yourself. I mean, there are people who are really taken back when they engage people. I, I think it's inspirational. If anything, I should be inspired by good-looking, handsome uh, people who have a great presence about themselves. Can I get all the way down in the river with you? You sure you can take it? Amen. Buckle up. Come on, you with me? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you're never going to overcome lust if you don't admit it. You have to say, I like that kind. And I, I'll, I, I just, you know, I mean, you have to say, and you have to admit where you are. If you're at a place where you know you'll compromise, you have to make an extreme commitment. You have to say, okay, in my, in my state of mind, where I am today, I cannot be that person's friend. I can't call them, hang out with them, talk to them at all. If you, if you're, look, this is the truth now. If, you're, if your husband reminds you of Barney Five or Fred Flintstone, <laughs> I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being honest. I mean, in terms of what he's turned out to be in his presentation. And see, over time, this is the truth, even pretty people don't look as pretty. You look at them, and you look at them, you look at them, and they go, go down a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And then you see somebody new that you haven't seen yet, and, and, and you get all excited, and, and you look at it and go, oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. Here's the trap. You have to make sure you tell yourself. Now, that is not true. Even though this person looks like Barney Fife to me, this person don't look like they used to look to me. They don't look, they don't, tell me you don't know who Barney Fife is, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going way back, aren't I? How about Fred Flintstone? You know who Fred is? Okay. Um, how about Olive Oil? You know who Olive Oil is? Popeye's, okay. Over time, good-looking people, their beauty becomes normal to you. And you, you, you just like, just like, for example, driving your car. I went down, I went down to the Lexus dealership, and my car's paid for. Praise God. And uh, yes, sir, hallelujah. And uh, I went to the Lexus dealership the other day to get my car serviced, and I walked in, and they had the brand new LS. The leather seats were talking to me. 
<laughs> and they said, Pastor, isn't it time? I said, no. It's not time. <laughs> so new things always, always look exciting. New things can drag your eyes away from what's really true. But here's the truth. That cost paid for. That cost mine. That ain't mine. That's a mortgage. Come on, say amen. Are you hearing me? And I don't, I don't need, I need to understand. I might get drawn to the new car, but the new car is not my car. And there's a price for this car. All grass has to be cut. You have to clean this car. You got to take care of this thing. Don't you leave your car for some new car you think you want. And so I manage, I manage when I'm pulled and yanked. And no, no, I talk back. You have to say something. You have to say, I know better than this. This is not true. And then, you know, if you can just accept it's okay for people to be good looking. Because here's, here's my view. If I'm going to hire people, I can't just go hire ugly people. I got to hire pretty people. I got to hire people who are shapely. I can't have, well, you're too shapely. You got, I need somebody with more weight on them. I need somebody that's not in shape. I need somebody with droopy eyes. I need somebody with bad teeth. I, need, I can't have anybody that makes looks good to me. I think that's a shame. I think it's a crying shame. You should be able to love people, accept people, pretty or not. It doesn't matter. Everybody deserves a chance. Come on, say amen. You hear me? It's, I have seen, I've seen pretty girls lose out and be mistreated simply because they're cute. I've seen guys be misjudged. He could be your man, but you said, no, I don't want no pretty boy. Why not? God may have one for you. God had one for Diane, praise God. <laughs> yes, he did. All right. I don't know why y'all laughing. I could be, I could be offended. <laughs> Stop laughing. Here we go. <laughs> Rethink how you manage your strong cravings. Take a strong stand against violating someone else's family and take a strong stand against sexual compromise. And he exaggerates to make this point. Verse 29, verse 30. This is some of the most incredible two verses I'm done in the Bible because here's what it says. Let, let's not pretend this is, that this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to bind, blind your right eye the moment you catch it on a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. Pastor Rick, did you tell me to pluck out my eye? That's what the King James says. If, you're right, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Right. Look at the next verse, verse 30. You, you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it's raised threateningly because a bloody stump Better to have a bloody stump than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. What in the world does that mean? In, in, in the King James, it says, you know, if your right hand offends, you cut it off. There's a word called hyperbole. Say hyperbole. Come on. It's, you exaggerate to make a point. I want you to really know, he says, how serious I am about all this. I want you to really get it. I want you to understand the importance of your view and your approach. I want you to be really clear. I am so serious about this. It's like saying, you know, I, yeah, I, boy, I, I'll kill you if you do that. You know, that, that statement you make as a parent, I'll hurt you. If you, that you're not, you don't want to hurt your kid. You just want to drive home a point. He doesn't want you to pluck out your eye, literally. He doesn't want you to cut off your arm. He's simply saying, 
this is so important for you, six, 12 guys on a hill. If you really want to go with me, you can't go if you have no sexual control. If you're out of control in this area of your life, you are disqualified from traveling with me. There can be no using you if you can't control your anger. If you can't manage your temperament, I can't use you. Isn't that an incredible thing to think? Rethink your attitudes, guys. I'm taking you on a new journey. And he starts in these next chapters to unveil incredible truth to show them how they have to think. And one thing he does, he says, I want to show you why you're here. Rethink your, your purpose, your meaning for life, your reason for being here. And next week, I'll show you what he said. He says, I want you to understand you have great purpose. Why are you here in the world? Why did God bring you into the world? I'll tell you one thing, you have great value. I'll show you that next week. Did you learn something today? Thank you for coming. Praise God. Father, I pray that what we've talked about has helped affect the way they think, the way they view life, the way they approach anger, marriage, relationships, lust, temptation. People that are enemies, challenging moments. Help us as we, we rethink everything. As we rethink our view and our approach, help us. We've been taught some of this from our childhood. We've learned things. But now Jesus says, if you want to go with me, I've got I've to get you to think this through. You can't keep using that kind of language. Where I'm taking you, you can't, you can't cuss like that. You can't, you can't use those words. Those words aren't going to get you to where you want to be. If you want to, you can't chase every woman, every man. You can't do that if you're going to go with me. You've got to rethink this. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that your spirit would heal today. Because there are people in here who said, Pastor, I've been one of those people who've been killed by words. And some would say, I've used words to kill people. I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but I see it now. So in Jesus' name, as we rethink everything, as we pull on the side of the road today, I pray the Holy Spirit would bring healing to hearts. Every hand lifted. Heal, 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 Lord. Heal hearts. Heal lives. Restore vision. Lift perspective. And God, we give you all praise and all glory. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. The name that's above every name. Now with every hand down, every head bowed. If you're here and you say, Pastor, after hearing today's message, I really get it. I need to start a walk with God. What you said today spoke to me. 